And you can be seated. So good to see you here this morning. Just want to thank the Lord. We have a wonderful Sunday school lesson this morning. Alberto taught. We've been going through some parables and really it was more of a descriptive term about being stiff-necked and rebellious and how we need to yield to the Lord. And it was a wonderful, wonderful message that he shared. I just want you, if you would, to open with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're going to read verses 54 through the end of the chapter. Acts seven fifty-four. This is Stephen preaching. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they, then they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We're talking about conflict. You have to say this is Stephen's greatest conflict. But great conflict for the man or woman that knows God and that is in the will of God does not have, has to, have to be sheer misery and pain. It's something important to learn here. Great conflict for the man that's in God's will or the woman that's in God's will and the man of God born by the Spirit of Almighty God doesn't have to be just, uh, just pain and a trial with no hope. It's not just fear for no reason of being uh, fear because the Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. The Lord was with Stephen. The Lord is for him. That man or God is not just Stephen. The Lord is his strength in times of trouble. And so we go through conflicts and we go through trials and we go through troubles and we go through tribulations. They're not pointless. For the man of God or the woman of God that is in the will of God, they're not pointless. There's a very, very real fellowship with Christ in our sufferings when we suffer in his will. It's very real. And you don't know it, and I don't know it, till we go through it, and we go through it with God. We go through it with Christ. We go through it and feel his hands holding us, and we discern the goodness of God with us and his strength upholding us as we go through the trials. The Apostle Paul had been saved for many years, and he knew the Lord and walked with the Lord and served God and was filled with the Spirit of God. And he said, still, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of what? His suffering being made conformable to his death. There is a very real fellowship with God in our conflicts and trials. Stephen knew that. He experienced that. The Apostle John the history says that it's not recorded in the Bible, but we know that Judas hanged himself. The other apostles of the Lord were martyred in some form or fashion. And the apostle John was, I've heard and, and read in different, different historical accounts that he, they tried to, uh, for his faith, 
tried to boil him, and it didn't kill him, and they banished him to an island called Patmos, which would have been like a Alcatraz. It was a prison community. It was a prison, uh, an island. It was nothing but one big rock, and he was there in the will of God. And I want to read this from Revelation 1, 9, and 10. I, John, also, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. We're just going to stop there. What, what are we reading this for? Because he was in the will of God. He was serving God, but he had tribulation. He had conflict in the will of God. He was on the island of Patmos, he says, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. But God was with him. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard a great voice behind me as of a trumpet. And God began to speak to him and give him that whole book of Revelation that we have before us to read. Daniel. Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. Why? Because he stole something from the king. He was thrown in the lion's den for his testimony for Christ. He was thrown in the lion's den. And the king said, as before he threw him in, he says, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. The next morning they come and lift him out of the, the lion's den. They take the, the mouth of stone off the top. And, and here's Daniel. And it says, so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. What are we saying? We're looking at examples of people that are in the will of God and for the testimony of Christ go through tribulation and go through trouble, and yet God is with them. That's what a lost person does not have, that Alberto mentioned that so wonderfully in Sunday school. A lost person goes through a, a trial, a tribulation, a heartache, a sickness, whatever it may be, and they're just there. They have no hope. They do if they return to Christ. But outside of Christ, there's no hope. And they're just going through a painful time, and that's it. End of story. So they turn to medicines, and they turn to different things to try to help them. The man of God, like Stephen... He said when they were stoning, stoning Stephen, you can look back at it in verses 55 and 56. He, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Do you think those other people saw that? They didn't see what he saw. They didn't know who he knew, and they didn't see what he saw. He's going through the trial. He's the one that they're gnashing their teeth and casting them out of town. He's the one that they're picking up stones and throwing them. You ever been hit with a rock when somebody threw it at you? Even as a kid, it hurts. Okay, and they're stoning him. And he says, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. This is what he saw. This is what he experienced. Great conflict does not mean for the man or woman of God in the will of God. Great conflict does not mean sheer misery and pointless pain and trial and suffering for no reason. It can be a place of great joy. It can be a place of unequal joy and peace. Paul's prison cells, multiple times thrown in prison, he, his prison cells were turned into a meeting place with God. His prison cells were turned into sanctuaries. 
his prison cells was turned to the very throne room of, of Almighty God where God met with him and communed with him. Some of the epistles that we read, he wrote from there. And so Satan wants your pain or your trial or your tribulation to be of no value, to be pointless. He, he wants us to turn from serving God. He has a purpose in it, but God has a greater purpose in the trials that you go through. I think about Job all the time. I think about Job quite often. Satan, there was a, the, the day when the sons of God appeared before him in heaven, and Satan also appeared and said, And the Lord said to him, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, one that fears God and shuns evil. And Satan said, Put forth thine hand now and touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. That's what Satan wanted him to do. He said, I'm going I'm to put this man through the ringer if God will let me. I'm going to put him through the ringer. I'm going to bring some serious trials to his life, and I'm going to show that he's just serving God because God blesses him. He's going to curse God to his face. Then he comes again after he had taken so many things from him, and his children and family comes again, and he says, Touch, Satan says to the Lord, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to your face. The Lord says, you can do whatever you want to him. Don't take his life. Can you just see the back scene? Job's just going through it. He don't know what's going on. And we get to see the back scene of what's taking place. Satan wants to ruin him. Not just physically. He wants to ruin him to where he curses God and turns from the Lord. That's what he's really after. He's after your faith. Don't forget it. Those that are saved, he wants to have your faith. That's what he wants. And the Lord says, do what you want. And here we see Job remains faithful. What are we saying? That going through a trial or tribulation, there's a reason for it if we're a child of God. Now, if I'm out in sin and rebellion, even as a Christian, I'm living out in the world or in rebellion, like we heard about in Sunday school, there are going to be consequences for that. That's not the trial of the Lord, so to speak. There's there are trials, though, of our faith. And as we go through these things, God is able to comfort us. There's a fellowship and a communion with God that we would not know otherwise. It is only in those times. There's a joy when we're blessed and we have the blessings of God poured out and where we're healed instead of being sick. But there's a fellowship with God in the trial that is not the same as when you're on the mountaintop. There's a fellowship with God in the valley that is not the same. It's a different fellowship and a communion. That's what Paul said, I want to know. I want to know that fellowship, that the trial of your faith, we all know this scripture in 1 Peter, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That is what's being tried. Make no mistake about it. The Lord is testing our faith. Could be through a sickness, could be through a financial struggle, could be some rejection uh, by other people, could be through a lot of different things, but the Lord, the Lord is testing our faith that it come through as pure gold to the glory of God. Amen? And he is comforting us, the Bible says, in all of our afflictions. 
He's comforting us in all of our afflictions. Now, here's the point of this message. I wanted to talk about that first, just looking at Stephen's life, that going through a trial does not have to be misery. If we'll search for God in the midst of it, he can strengthen us through it, and it can be a real joy that the world doesn't know, okay? Second thing I want to mention this morning is this. The greatest conflict often comes just before the greatest glory. And we're going to spend the rest of the time on this. The, the greatest conflict often comes just before the greatest glory or victory. So we look back at, at Stephen. It's, you have to say, we, we don't know a whole lot about his life. He is one of those six, uh, one of those seven, uh, was seven men that was chosen that uh, full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith, full of wisdom, right, to be ministers in the church and minister to the body. And he was one that was chosen. We don't know a whole lot about his life, but that's saying a lot right there. He's full of faith, wisdom, and the Holy Ghost, amen. And the apostles, by the leading of the Lord, said, this is one of those men that's going to minister in my name, okay? And so he's ministering, he's preaching here. This has to be the greatest conflict of his life. He's thoroughly rejected. You know, it's funny, Philip was one of those elders in the church, one of those that was chosen as well. Philip preached in Samaria, and there was great revival. There was great joy in that city. People were saved. They were baptized in water. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and there was great revival in Samaria. One of his co-workers, one of his peers, Stephen, preaches, and he's stoned to death. But both are in the will of God. Stephen preaches, this has to be the greatest conflict. They're throwing stones. But what is he experiencing at that time? I see, he says, I see the heavens open and the Son of, of God standing at the right hand of the Father. I see the heavens opened. The greatest conflict of his life brings the greatest glory. The greatest struggle brings the greatest glory. And they're right back to back. The greatest conflict is just before the greatest glory for him. T. Austin Sparks says the pathway to glory is the pathway of increasing conflict. We talked about that last week. And the most bitter part of the conflict will take place just before entering the glory. The most bitter part of the conflict takes place just before entering the glory. I believe that. I believe we see it in the Bible. Oftentimes we are discouraged. I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to believers. You're born again. You're going through trials. You're going through tribulations. Oftentimes, we are discouraged and don't want to go on. We want to quit. The night seems too dark. The fight seems too hard. The enemy seems too strong. We're too tired to continue the fight any longer. We don't see any real progress. We are tempted to quit. Don't quit. That is just before. God's going to bring the greatest victory and the greatest glory. He's telling us that. Stephen's greatest glory, seeing the heavens open and being welcomed into the very presence of God, was on the heels of his greatest trial, being stoned to death with stones. This is how the Lord works. This is what he's doing. We're tempted to quit. Y'all, here, here's the, the thought. This, this is the third part in a three-part series on the conflict 
It's just the term, the struggles that we go through. There's Christians go through struggles. We don't go through struggles in order necessarily to make it to heaven. Salvation is a free gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. That is a free gift of God. We're justified fully by his grace. We are, are cleansed from all our sins and iniquity by the blood of Jesus. The gift of God, it's a gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I could go on and on. It's a free gift. But to obtain the fullness of what God has for my life as a believer, the fullness of my faith, the fullness of my peace, the fullness of my joy, the fullness of my ministry and usefulness to God, the fullness of my power to, in, in ministry or power in living, all that, there's a fullness in Christ. There's like a big promised land, okay? And I'm saved, and God says, I'm giving you that promised land. But in order to get it, he allows us and intends for us to go through tribulations and trials and struggles. And as we go through, we grow, and our faith grows. As we go through and grow, and we learn to trust in the Lord, we're possessing more of that promised land and occupying it. It's not a mean trick by God. It's his way of doing things. Here's Naaman the leper from Syria. A great man, captain of the, the army in Syria, and he hears about a prophet in, in, some, in uh, Israel who is Elisha. And Elisha tells, he wants to be healed of his leprosy. There's no cure for leprosy. The man's a great man, but he's got leprosy and he's going to die from it. And so somebody says, why don't you go talk to that prophet over there? I think he could heal you. And he's, well, why not give it a shot? So he goes to him, and, and Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. He says, go, go wash in the Jordan River seven times. What's the, the point of that for, the, for our purposes? Six times didn't do it, did it? He, he washed in the Jordan one time, and he was still had leprosy. A second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time, he still has leprosy. But the commandment of the man of God was to wash in the Jordan River seven times. The greatest conflict. He wanted to quit. I'm sure he wanted to quit. He, did, he didn't want to go to the river in the first place until his servant said, come on now, come on. If he'd asked you to do some great thing, you'd have done it, right? Pay $100,000 in gold, you would have done it, right? Yeah. Uh, go fast. Go pray on this mountain for a week and a half. You'd have done it, right? To be cured of your leprosy, yeah. He goes, why don't you just do this simple thing and go wash in the Jordan River seven times? We're tempted to quit just before the glory of God is revealed. He washed the seventh time, and he came up, and his flesh was clean, like a baby's flesh. No leprosy. It was ridded of that disease. The greatest conflict coming before the greatest glory. We, we often are discouraged. We're discouraged because we're going through trials and we're going through tribulations, or maybe we're really wanting to grow in the Lord and you're seeing, or I'm seeing such little progress in our lives, and we're tempted to quit. God says, don't quit. Don't quit. That, that promised land is for you. When I study about the promised land in the Bible and like spiritually what does it represent to the church age and to us. And I agree with this. Most people say it does not necessarily represent heaven. I could see how you could make that argument. But I believe the promised land for Israel 
they were already God's people. They were chosen by God. The promised land represented everything he had for them, the fullness of it. He marked out borders and said from this river to this river, from this country to this, all this in between, this specific place, it's yours. And I want you to have it, and I'm freely giving it to you. Well, there's that in Christ for the believer. Do we have heaven? Yes, we have heaven. Hallelujah. Part of our glorious future that we have. But what do we have in Christ now and in the days ahead as long as the Lord tarries before we get to heaven? I think most people, most people, and I would have to include myself, we come short of what is possible in Christ in our knowledge of the Lord, in our love for God, in our being comforted by God, in our faith and being strengthened by the Lord. God says that that fullness, just like the promised land was for Israel, it is for you. It's not for anybody else. It's for Israel. It's for you. And he says, I want you to possess it. And he says, for the things that are freely given us in Christ, they were ours as believers. They were for us. And Christ is for us. And he's the bread of life, and he's the bread of heaven. And we feed upon him, and we feast upon him. And Paul says, oh, that I want to know him. There's more. There's more in this promised land. And it is for you. And God is basically saying the victory is sure. It's assured to us the victory is sure. But we must press through hostile territory in order to possess it and to occupy it. It's not for us to say, God, why does it have to be this way? He's saying this is the way it is. Your salvation is free. I promise to be with you. But for the glory of God, I want you to fight against foes and enemies that are greater than you, but they're not greater than me, and I've already defeated them. And I want you to step out there and confront them. And they're going to come and confront you. And they're going to oppose you. Death and despair and depression and darkness and fear and governments and militaries and persecution. These things are going to come against you. And when they come against you, uh, the Lord's going to raise up a standard against them. I want to show for you and in you and through you my might and my glory and my power. Through a weak earthen vessel. I want to show my might through you. The victory, sure, but I want you to walk it out. I want you to, to participate. You're going to be part of this. You're going to be one of the ones that I'm glorified through your life. And as it's taken place and as you come through that trial and death tried to oppose you and darkness and unbelief and fear and all these things came against your life and the Lord showed himself strong, you know what it does for us? Our faith is strengthened. Why did not, and we talked about it last week, last week, why did God say to Joshua, they just crossed the Jordan River. I mean, they're just on the very border of the promised land. It's all ahead of them. They haven't occupied any of it yet. The Lord says, I'm going to give you the victory. But he says, I'm not going to drive the enemy out in one year. He says, I'm going to drive them out little by little. Why did he say that? We talked about it last week. If you missed that, you, you ought to listen to that. He says, I'm going to drive them out little by little until you be enlarged to occupy the land. They needed to grow numerically 
as far as a people to possess that whole land. They needed to grow in their faith in the Lord in order to stand firm for the Lord once in this land filled with idolatry and idols. He says, I'm not going to drive them out just at once, and it's a big poof, it's a big vacuum there, and you just walk in. It's too big. The land is too big for you, little people. I'm giving it to you, but I'm going to give it to you as you possess it. As you enlarge and grow, then you'll occupy new territory. As you enlarge and grow, you'll occupy, occupy some new territory. That was God's plan. He says, that if, I, if I sent them all out at once, he says, the land would become desolate. So pretty vineyards and gardens and all would be all overgrown and houses would crumble down. And he says, the beasts of the field are going to multiply against you. They're going to be, it's going to be worse for you if I drive them all at once. Now, you grow into it. You wouldn't give up. You know, so, somebody that wants to, man that wants their son, I want him to grow up and, and play sports. Or I want him to grow up and play uh go hunting or something. You wouldn't give a, a, a year-and-a-half-old kid a 12-gauge shotgun. they got to grow into that. It's for them. Say, son, when you get old enough, this is yours. It's, it's his. It's not anybody else's, and the Father's given it to him. But he's got to come to a place where he is mature enough in his mind, his body, and every way to handle that. Right? And the Lord is saying, it's not salvation we're saved by grace. There's a fullness of this life in Christ that he wants us to possess, and we need to grow up. And he's letting us go through trials so our faith will be strengthened and we'll be enlarged spiritually to where I can handle this now. Some new ministry he may want to give you. Your prayer life, he wants to grow you, and in your growing, almost by, as a byproduct of growing, we possess more land. As Israel grew, yeah, there were battles they had to go through, but as they grew, little by little, they possessed more of the land. And that is what God is saying to us. The Lord, don't allow the fact that you're going through tribulations and struggles to make you discouraged that you quit. It is part of this life. When we get to heaven, there won't be. Not one trial, not one tribulation, not one struggle, not, not any fatigue, not any sickness. The tears will be wiped away and so forth at the end of the millennium. But in this life, God is showing himself mighty on the behalf or in the behalf of his people that have trusted in him. He's showing that he's greater. And so he's ordained for us to, to walk through these things. David said that his enemy was too great for him. We read these scriptures last week. The Lord lifted me out of this trial and tribulation and set me in a large place. And that word large literally means freedom or liberty. It means enlarged. So through going through the enemies that were too strong with him, God brought him through it. He had to face them. He wasn't exempt from it. He faced enemies that were too strong for him. He faced Goliath. He faced different things in his life that were much stronger than him. But God was with him. God brought him through it, set him in a large place. What did he do? God enlarged him. God enlarged him. Not physically, but he enlarged him as a man of God and strengthened him. The Lord says, I have chosen thee. He says, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. We would say, God, why? 
Why did you choose me in the furnace of affliction? Because he's wise and he knows what he's doing. He wants to be with us in the fire like he was with the three Hebrews. He wants us to know him in the fire. Anybody can praise God. Even an unbeliever could thank God when everything's going perfect and they win the lottery. It's when we're going through the trials that our faith is tested and we find God is with me and we are strengthened and he brings us through. No matter how far you've come in your walk with God, all of us and in our spiritual progress, I pray you're growing. I can testify for so many that you're growing in the Lord, but no matter how far we've come, how long we've been seeking after God and reading his word and coming to church and praying and living for God and we're growing, we are growing. There, there's, we all seem to come to a place, no matter how far we get, we look ahead and there seems so much further. I'm so far from what Moses was. I'm so far from what Paul was. I'm so far from what John was. I'm so far from what, uh, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah, these people were. We almost feel overwhelmed. We almost feel overwhelmed. We possess this, this ground around us, and yet we look up, and somehow we say, oh, wow, I got so far to go. I got, don't be discouraged by that. I say it all the time. I'm very thankful I'm very thankful that there's more ahead. As wonderful as my walk with Jesus is now, it can be better. That's not discouraging to me. That's encouraging to me. There's nothing else in life could you say that about. Almost nothing. I mean, if you've been uh, a super, you always wanted to go in person to a Super Bowl, you've seen it. It's not going to get any better than that. That's what they are, okay? But a walk with God, it's always better. The best is still out there in front of us. Stephen saw the heavens open and the, and the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. It's still ahead of us. God has ordained it to be this way. There will always be new ground for you and I to take in Christ. As long as we're on this earth, there's always going to be more of the promised land, but it's okay. We are possessing we're filling up what we're supposed to fill up. We're occupying what we're supposed to occupy. We're walking in is the fullness of Christ to this point, but there's always more out there. Don't be discouraged by that, okay? He's bringing us to a fuller walk with himself. But some quit. Some quit, and I just and really the Lord wants to encourage you not to do that. If you're discouraged because you're going through so many trials, such severe trials, such prolonged trials, uh, you, you've been praying for some spiritual breakthrough in your life, whatever it may be, and it's hard, don't quit. I'll give an example. God stirs you up to, 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 for you to have a deeper, fuller prayer life than what you have now. I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody. Whatever your prayer life is now, I can promise you God wants to make it fuller. And you say, well, okay, I'm going to get up in the mornings and pray. And you get up in the mornings and you pray and you fall asleep. God says, I want you to start doing such and such ministry tomorrow. Get up in the mornings and, and uh, you know, read your Bible and do such and such. And we get up and we need strength for the day and we wake up exhausted. God wants you to give to missions and missionaries and so forth. And, and things are really tight financially. You know what, y'all? That's part of it. He's testing us. He's testing us. He says, I want you to give anyway, even though it's tight. You take care of what I'm calling you to do, and I will take care of you. 
Well, I'm, I'm fall, falling asleep when I pray, but then wake yourself up and start praying again. There's no magic solution to it. You need a deeper prayer life, and God tells you to pray in the mornings, then pray in the mornings. Well, I'm daydreaming. Well, stop. You know, reel those thoughts back in. I can say it because I've been there. I've done it. I've experienced it. And, and, and it's right before a lot of times a breakthrough. I know I've shared this so many times. Y'all forgive me for sharing it again. God put it on my heart. Dee and I were married. I was a believer. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. We were serving God. But I, had, I didn't have a very consistent or strong prayer life. And the Lord, I was reading the Bible, I forget which gospel, where Jesus was in the garden the night he was going to be arrested and said to his disciples, he found them sleeping, right? Couldn't you, what, couldn't you pray for, for one hour? And I, and I just closed my Bible and said, God, I'm pitiful. I can't pray for an hour. Can't do it. God says, I want you to pray for an hour. So I don't remember, I, I think it was a little construction work on the side of our ministry. And, and what, whatever time I normally would get up to go to work, I, the Lord says, I want you to set your alarm one hour earlier than that. And I'm going to be so sleepy. <laughs> I need that extra hour of sleep. And the Lord says, do it. So whatever time it was, five, six, whatever, I set my alarm early. I say, I'm going to pray for an hour. This is something God's wanting me to for my life. And I start praying, and after five minutes, I've prayed everything I can think of. In five minutes, I'm done. And I'm daydreaming. I'm thinking, oh, the grass is getting tall. I need to cut the grass. And I'm not. And, and God says, no, I want you to stick with it. So I could have been discouraged and stopped. I'm thank God, all glory to God, he didn't let me stop. So I get up the next day, and I do it. And I get up the next day and do it. And so I started combining my Bible reading so I wouldn't daydream so much, and I would fill up the hour. I mean, I watched the clock till an hour was through. And that's how God, I don't remember how long that went, I'll be honest with you, and I don't remember when I stopped looking at the clock. But God gave me a victory to where I could pray an hour. He gave me a victory where I could stop looking at the clock. He taught me how to pray, and I was already his child. I was already born again. He taught me how to pray, and it, it was, I'll never forget it, and I'm very thankful for it. It's just a, an, an example. There's a ground to take, and sometimes to take it, we have to fight some enemies. I had to fight the demon of slumber, right? And I had to fight uh, daydreaming. I had to fight different things that were going on, and failure, because, like I said, I'm finished with everything in eight minutes, and I've got 52 minutes to go. Lord, help me, you know. And, and yet he helped me to stick with it and stick with it and stick with it. And some point there, it's like exercising the first time you can't jog around the block. And at some point you can jog 10 times around the block. And sometimes you don't even think about how many times you've gone around the block. You're just, you get to some point where you can do it. And this is what God wants us to possess, new ground. Don't quit. Some quit right before they enter in. Some become complacent. Some become frustrated, but some also become complacent. And I want to bring this out. They don't occupy any new territory in the Lord because they become content with where they are. Now, I want to explain myself because I know that you're thinking in Philippians, 
The Bible tells us to be content in whatsoever state we are. Paul was talking about, I've learned to be hungry and full and to have a lot and to have little. And uh, he was content in prison. He was content not in prison. That had to do with the will of God and, and where he was in life. Okay? But there's still, I would call it an unholy contentment to be satisfied with where we are in our knowledge of God in our service to the Lord, in our prayer lives, in our usefulness to God, and so forth. That is unholy in the sense that Paul said he learned to be content, but in the same epistle he said, uh, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing, uh, pressed towards the mark, right? So he's still striving after something. That shows there's something he hasn't attained that he very much longs for, Okay. And so that the discontentment would be, no, I'm not content with where I am. There's more of Jesus out there, and I want to lay hold on more of Jesus. We're not, we're not discontent because we wish our paycheck was bigger and we're mad at God. We're discontent because we want more of God. We want more of the Lord and all that he has for us. Some people are content. Y'all, we have no right. I was studying a book It made this point. We, we have no right to be content and to settle down into some place that God doesn't want us to settle down. I'm talking about spiritually. You know what I mean? I'm content with just going on Sunday mornings and not going to church anymore during the week, any other service. I'm content with saying a few prayers when, I, when I'm driving to work. And that would be the extent of my prayer life. I'm content with, if I think about it, to read a little bit of my Bible. I'm content with, you know, and we just, but we have no right to be content where God doesn't want us to be content. He wants us to press on. People settle down. We settle down in our Christianity and other people pass us by. And we wonder why. It's because we just have stopped the fight. I'm saved. The Lord loves me. Praise God for his grace. When I die, I'm going to heaven. And everybody else just keeps growing, or other people may pass us up. And the reason they're passing us up is because we've settled down in some low level, I would call it, of living, a low level of holiness, a low level of usefulness to God, a low level of fruit bearing, a low level of spiritual power, a low level of knowledge of Christ, of prayerlessness, of Christ-likeness. We've settled down. And we've settled down, and God said, no, uh, come on. There's a whole lot more I have for you. You're going to be so much happier if you come over here to this part of the promised land that I have for you. I want to fill you up. I want you to fill up the place that I put you. It's not our privilege to settle down and say, I'm going to stop pursuing after God. That's really not our right or privilege. All of us in the Lord have this high calling of God till we all come it says, to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ in Ephesians, there's a fullness. I'm going to bring this to a close. Some people might think, oh, that, that fullness in Christ, well, that, that's for other people. That's for Paul and David and Moses and Abraham and the apostle John and Timothy. That's for other people. It's not for me. Or others might think it's a good thought, but it's not really possible. It's a good thought, this deeper life in Christ. It's a good thought, but it's not really possible. And I would just ask the question, is it, is it not possible because you say it's not possible? Or is it not possible because God says it's not possible? 
If I'm making the call, that's the rebellion like we heard about in Sunday school. God's saying it is possible. This fullness in Christ, this deeper life. So I can't really, that's a great idea. Praying Hyde could pray for five hours, but I can't do that. Well, first of all, see what God's called you to do. And if he's called you to do it, and if he's called us in his word, he's telling you it's possible. He's telling you, like Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every blood-bought child of God is empowered to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. You don't put people up on a pedestal and say, I can never pray like George Mueller. If you're called to pray like George Mueller, and if you're called to a greater prayer life than you have now, God will help you to do it. Absolutely, 100%, the victory is sure you can do it. But we have to fight some battles. We have to fight to get there, and God is with us every step of the way. I'm closing with this thought. The Israelites failed. They failed to fully possess the land God promised them. The Lord had told Joshua before they went in, there shall not a man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I'm with, I'll be with you. And he says, I'm going to drive the enemy out. I'm going to fight against them. They're stronger than you. They're mightier than you. Don't worry about it. I got the victory. He, and the Israelites failed to fully possess the land that God had promised them. I just want to read this from Joshua 13.1. Joshua was old and stricken in years. Remember, he's the one the Lord chose to lead the, the children into the promised land. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. They, they failed, and there's a real description. You know, Benjamin failed to, to possess this part, and this tribe failed to possess that part. There was a failure on their, their part, not by God, on God's part. We don't have to fail. Caleb didn't fail. Joshua didn't fail. You don't have to fail, okay? The Israelites as a whole failed. The darkest, it's always the darkest just before the dawn. You and I are always the most weary just before we finish the race or whatever, we're, the fight. But we need to remember that, that we're nearer than we were before. Now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. Stephen's greatest conflict and greatest darkness was just before entering into the arms of the Lord. Just before the greatest glory. D, you can come. Two more scriptures. Jesus was in the garden. It says, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Conflict? Absolutely. Struggle? Wrestling? I would say the greatest struggling of our Lord's life would have been in that garden the night he was going to be arrested, knowing full well what he's going to face the next day. Physically going to be exhausted in every way. And even that mystery that we don't understand fully about, Father, why hast thou forsaken me, my God, just for that moment when he became sin for the sins of the world. Yet in that garden, this would have been his greatest struggle, but he's about to enter in darkest before the dawn, right? He's about to enter in to the greatest glory. He is at the right hand of the Father now and until his enemies be made his footstool. 
He's coming back again. Not to suffer, but to reign. Struggle and then the victory. The victory, sure, but we still have to go through the struggle. Last verse I want to read is from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Now, this is making the comparison to Israel and the promised land, and now here to the church in Hebrews 4.1. Let us, therefore, fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. It's promises of God. We don't want to come short of them. That's all I'm saying here. Not just heaven. You put your life, I don't want to get to heaven. And the Lord said, what were you doing? You put your, your Christianity in, you, you put your car in neutral back here 25 years ago. I had so much I wanted to give you, to do in you and for you and through you, and wanted to use your life to glorify my son Jesus. What were you thinking? Come on into heaven. Heaven's yours. You trusted in me as Lord and Savior. But there was a lot of, I don't want to come short of any promise that God has for me. I want all of it. Not being selfish or greedy. I want all that the Lord has for me in this life. Amen? And I, and I want you to have all that God wants for you to have in your life. Y'all stand with me this morning. These altars are open. I encourage you to come. Lay hold on the Lord up here at these altars. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, we don't want to come short of any of the the promises of God. You've promised them, them to us. He said all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God. The victory is sure. You've already won the victory. You just want us to walk in victory. You want us to walk it out. You want to grow us so we can possess the land and occupy it. God, I pray you would forgive us of any unholy contentment, where we've been content to sit back. I pray give us a holy fire for God, that we would pursue after you with all of our hearts, God, that we would press towards the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you forgive us, God. All of us have come short in different areas, God, but we don't want to from now on. We pray you'd strengthen us for the fight that's ahead. Strengthen our faith, God, that our faith wouldn't fail. I pray your blessings upon your people, God. I thank you that you're moving us from glory to glory. I thank you that your thoughts are, are good for us, God. Your, your intent for our lives is good and to prosper us. Strengthen us this morning in this house. And we wouldn't be the same when we leave. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.